if you're a business owner, you need to either know how to write really good sales copy or find someone who does. Sales copy drives everything that we do. You need to sell your product, you need to sell your service. Heck, even if you're an author, you need to sell your idea to a publisher or to an audience. Everything is sales and being able to write words that effectively communicate what you need to communicate to get the desired result is sort of like that mystic art that's super important. And so to help us with sales copy, and I love sales copy, I've brought on an incredible guest today, Neville Medora. Now, Neville is somebody whose work I was familiar with years ago before I knew who he was because I was a customer of AppSumo and he became the guy who wrote all of the marketing emails for AppSumo. But Neville figured out in the pre-Google days that you can get a bunch of very targeted people to come to your website or social media, consume your material, and even buy just by writing words in the right order. He then applied this to business, and he was part of including a rave company, the first financial blog online, copywriting course, AppSumo, like I mentioned, Pink Java Media, Real Savvy, The Hustle, and more. And he currently advises numerous companies and runs a copywriting company called copywritingcourse.com and gives away his entire marketing swipe file at swipefile.com, which is a fantastic read. You need to check it out. So in this episode, we break down a lot of the myths and the truths about copywriting. I think you're really going to enjoy learning copywriting from Neville because it's such, um, he makes it so approachable. That's the best way I can describe it. So you're going to enjoy this. If you want more conversions, if you want to write better copy from every touch point of your business from social to the actual sales emails and sales pages to just the way you present your ideas when you're on an elevator with somebody and trying to get them to have buy-in. I don't know why you'd be in an elevator and doing that, but if you want to know how to do that powerfully, this is the episode for you. So sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with Neville Medora. Welcome back to The Graham Cochran Show, where each week I'm breaking down the habits, mindsets, and strategies to help you build a highly profitable and life-giving business. Glad to have you with us today. Before we jump into this incredible conversation, I want to quickly put a resource in your hand. If you are ready to turn your service-based business into a passive income machine or launch your very first online business, you need to watch my passive income workshop. It's simple to understand. It's chock full of juicy goodness and scripts and details and frameworks. It's all the stuff that I use to run my two online businesses. And most importantly, it will teach you how to create your first thousand dollars a month of passive income, even if you only have 30 minutes a day to work on it. So whether you're at zero or you're a service-based business and you're like, I really need to scale this thing and, and automate or make some element of what I do passive, this is the workshop for you. Just go to grahamcochran.com slash workshop to watch it. It's a free video on-demand workshop. You can watch whenever you want, or you can click the link below if you're watching on YouTube. That's grahamcochran.com slash workshop. All right, let's jump into the conversation. Well, dude, Neville, this is awesome. I love your shirt. I love that you're here. Uh, (laughs) 
Um, well, uh, this is like not when I think of copywriters, that's what I was telling you before we hit record. I don't think of usually people like you that seem fun and like I'd want to hang out with you. And so that's I don't I'm not trying to judge copywriters. It's just my experience with copywriters is they're very cerebral and uh, and they just come out to play when they want to, you know, drop drop the, the bombs and then go back and hide. And so you I guess seem like so. I think there's also fun. a lot of scammy ones. I think that's why. I think back in the day, there was a lot of scammy copywriters because you would send out direct mail and then you would scam people for whatever product it was. And so you kind of wanted to hide. And back in the day, uh, consumers like me and you did not have a lot of tools. You couldn't Google someone's name. You couldn't Google anything. So you were kind of just like sending money in an envelope to someone hoping you get something back. And it was either a very crappy product or no product. And so I think that's why a lot of copywriters were very scammy. And uh, um, I was always very wary of it as an industry. And I still think there are companies Mm. out there that are very scammy. And so I think uh, I'm pretty out there because I try to keep on the right side of all that and stay away from any scammy stuff. We decline scammy clients. We don't train scammy people. It's a, uh, yeah, it's a constant battle. <laughs> yeah. So like if, if people think copywriting is scammy and a lot of them do, and even my students who understand that they need to learn copywriting and I'm teaching it in like the, my courses and my communities. So they, they're embracing it reluctantly. They still view it as like this, I'm manipulating people or I'm there's a couple of psychological hacks. And if I say the right thing and press the right button, then magically I'm people make, you know, put money in my pocket, but I feel bad about it. How, how do you define copywriting? How do you, cause your approach seems so different the way I see you do copy. And then the way you talk about and teach copy, how do you define copywriting and how do you view it? Well, th- their feelings are 100% valid because think about it. You're thinking you're, I'm telling you that with copywriting, you could take someone that doesn't want to buy a product I say a couple magical things and now they buy a product. It sounds weird, right? Like you're manipulating people. And in fact, the way you probably should look at it is take something like this. Instead, you have a really good product. Let's say uh, some sort of podcasting software that you're using right now. Instead of saying, buy this software, we say, buy this software. Here's what it's going to help you do. Here's how it's going to do it. And here's three other people that have used it successfully that are just like you. Is that manipulation or just informing them, right? So I think copywriting, instead of trying to manipulate people to buy something, informing them so they make the decision to buy it themselves. And I think it's harder and harder to scam people now just because, you know, the world is just more open. You can Google things. You have more power as a consumer. And so I think that's a really good thing. And then informing people is probably the way I look at it about your product, Mm. not trying to manipulate them. Does that make sense? That's probably a better way to position it. Yeah, which... It, it's a great way to position it, but then it begs the question, you got to make sure you've got a good product that if you inform people about it, they're going to want that's it. Step right? one. That's <laughs> step one. Like the whole, like, uh, I remember the, like the famous copywriter, Gary Halbert, who was like a little bit gray area, but also a very great like explainer of copywriting. He always said uh, people would brag to him that he can sell ice to Eskimos. And he'd be like, why do I want to sell ice to an Eskimo? <laughs> but yeah. like, I can manipulate an Eskimo into buying ice, but there's, there's no purpose for that. Mm. Um, he's like, I'd rather, I'd rather sell a hot dog to a really hungry person, you know, someone who wants my product. That's, that's a much better way to do it. Yeah. I love that. I think there's, there's sort of a subset of, um, it's almost like flexing, like other people are excited about talking about how good they sell, how well they can sell, how they could sell anything to anyone, uh, sell me this pen, you know, like it's all like selling is so, it's so intriguing but it becomes like a flex. Like I just want to learn how to sell because then they, they feel a little bit probably because they want confidence, right? We're probably insecure when it comes to maybe we have a great product. We know it's going to help people. But when it comes to like writing the words on the page, I think most people freeze up and they're they, that's when like marketing mumbo jumbo that they've probably absorbed from somewhere else comes out. And they're like, that doesn't even sound like 
the way I talk, like how did this come out? So I think maybe people want to avoid that. And so they want to, I'm going to go over here and learn this skill of selling and copywriting. So I'll feel more confident when it comes time to, to communicate. Does that, is that your experience with students? Ironically, the more you talk, like uh, the more you write, like you talk, the better. Right. Mm. And so the world is moving that way. Think about how you actually learn a lot of things nowadays. You go on TikTok, you go on Instagram, you go on YouTube. And what are you doing? You're watching a video of people just talking, right? You're actually not listening to them write. You're listening to them talk. And that's uh, traditionally how human communication has been, you know, forever. And then writing was invented a few hundred years ago. And we started write. and people write a little bit differently than you, than you talk. Right. And it used to be like putting words on paper was like very official. So it was like, Dear sirs, to whom it may concern, that was kind of the traditional style of writing. I'd say around the year 2000, that started really breaking down quite a bit in terms of that we now have social media, we have email, we have different modes of communication that don't require us to use all those like weird, fancy words. It doesn't matter. It doesn't make you look more official to use big words. It actually kind of makes you look stupid. Um, when you, when you use a lot of like, oh, it's a negatory response issued to the, like, when you start talking like that, people are like, what? It sounds bullshitty. So actually writing like you talk is the biggest thing. I tell people, explain to me how you would explain your product to a friend just right now. And they'll say it. And I'm like, yeah, that done. Like, like, but obviously clean it up for ers and ums and things like that. But other than that, that's the copy right there. I love so that. whenever we teach people, we actually tell them to explain the product, just explain the product to me over video. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm just going to write down your words <laughs> and give it back to you. So I didn't actually write anything. I just transcribed what you said. That's the best way to write copy, in my opinion. That's so powerful and so simple. And it's probably just a helpful exercise to get get us out of our own way and and be more. I mean, it is a more casual world, to your point, the way we communicate. And I almost it's almost funny. People um <laughs> I think this is my theory and I talk about it when, when I'm dealing with people's insecurities and even starting a business of like, well, mm-hmm. I'm not an expert and I don't know if I'm credible enough to teach weight loss or fitness or, you know, whatever it is online. And, mm-hmm. and I'm like, we have to get rid of this language of expert. There are experts. And if I want someone to do heart surgery on me, I, I want an expert in heart surgery. Uh, it's like life or death. But if you're sharing knowledge, I'm in the knowledge space that you're sharing knowledge and teaching something, you have to know what you're talking about. But what is an expert anyway? And aren't we kind of a little skeptical of of the glossy guru experts? We really like people that we can relate to, which I think is one of the things that I'm drawn to you about and what people are drawn to you about is, you know, with, with your, your Friday newsletter, your swipe files, like everything is very, you're a real person, you're funny, you're approachable. I, I, I I connect with you. And so then your words almost carry more weight to me because you seem like a real human being as opposed to a salesperson selling me something. Yeah, let's talk about how to position yourself. So that you could either position your spouse as an expert saying like, I'm the copywriting person, I'm the expert, et cetera, I have this many sales, millions of sales or whatever. Or you could just say, I'm someone curious about copywriting. Right. So um, online, whenever you read stuff or whenever you watch stuff from a YouTuber, a lot of times, a lot of the personal finance people you're watching about money, crypto, whatever it may be, they're actually not experts in it by any definition of the term. So they don't have a degree in it. They haven't haven't, like run a company that does it or anything. They're just like like a person, like a dude or a gal that's really into it. Right. And they read everything. They read all the newsletters. They listen to all the podcasts. They interact with the top people. They play around on Twitter and talk to the engineers designing the stuff. Now, is that person an expert by traditional methods? Probably not because there's no like, you know, number after the name or letter or PhD or anything. But then again, 
there may not be a PhD in crypto. So who do you trust? And so what we trust is just the people who talk about it a lot, the people who use it a lot. The people are like, I've used every single uh, coin out there and this is the best one. You're just like, huh, there's some credence to their words because they've actually trying it out. So I think you could just be a curious person. When I first started out, uh, I had a, a blog called nevblog.com. This is like in the year 2000. And it was, it was a personal finance blog. I was by no means an expert. I was just a college student with a bunch of side hustles. And I was publishing what I did. And I got labeled in the media as kind of like an expert. And it's kind of funny because I was like, I'm no expert in this. I'm just like a, a person trying it. But you have to realize as a person trying out a bunch of different side businesses at the age of, you know, 19, 20, 21, you're ahead of like 99% of the people. So theoretically, you are kind of an expert in that field compared to most people. So I think if you are starting out online, instead of labeling, labeling yourself as an expert, maybe label yourself as I'm interested in X and I talk about it and I interview people about it. Um, so you kind of get branded in people's minds as an expert, or at least you sort of know what you're talking about. So that's the way I try to position it as it's like, I'm very interested in copywriting. I don't know everything. However, I do teach a lot of people with copywriting. I write copy for a lot of companies. I consult for a lot of companies and I rewrite the copy for a ton of emails and autoresponders and newsletters all day long. So I probably have more experience in this than most people. Therefore, I am someone you should maybe listen to. Uh, but do I know everything? No. So that, that's the way I try to position it. I love that. I love that. So like, let's let's talk about it. Let's go back in time. Like you got into, from what I understand, you got into copywriting to s scratch your own itch, right? You, oh, you well, it was to, my own business. Yeah. I had yeah. an e-commerce e company. Yeah. Okay. I had an e-commerce company that was a rave company. I've never been to a rave in my life. And I basically <laughs> sold light up and glow stuff online, you know, before yeah. Amazon drop shipping was like a, a bit of a bigger industry. And so uh, I would drop ship light up and glow stuff. And everyone in, uh, I, I lived in Austin at the time and there was all these like marketers. And I was like, the, the, the gold is in the email list and all that stuff. And I had about 7,500 people who kind of opted in to get emails from me, never sent out emails. And so, uh, I heard a lot of people say, you got to email, you got to email. So I made these newsletters and they were beautiful. And I think somewhere online, you can find like house of rave, old email newsletters. They looked great. And I made a lot of images and they had like all the sections that a newsletter should have. And the big date is at the top. And I would send that out and I'd send about 7,500 people, good open rates and good click rates, by the way. They're very clicky, very open-y. No one bought anything though. So it cost me 80 bucks a month to have the email service to send. Yep. And I'd make roughly 40 bucks in profit, maybe. Um, so I went negative 40 on every email I sent out. And I was just like, well, maybe it's for brand awareness, right? Maybe not everyone wants to, to buy. I justified in my head all these reasons that people weren't buying because I did all the things right, I thought. And then one of my friends who was big into copywriting was like, you got to learn about this copywriting skill. And he told me to read the Boron Letters by Gary Halbert. Mm. I read those and I was pissed off and happy at the same time. Pissed off because I was like, I've been doing these all wrong and very happy because I was like, I know what to do now. And so instead, I told a story about this particular product that was these light up finger lights. And I thought that light up finger lights were for 16 year old ravers that go like uh, 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 at a party <laughs> and do that. But it turns out, like, I was the customer support for the company, too. I would get these calls from, like, plumbing companies and be like, we'd like to order 50 of them. And I'd be like, why? Like, why? Why? <laughs> and they'd be like, oh, well, the plumbers put them on their fingers because when they reach under a sink, they oh, often have a headlamp. So smart. Exactly. But the, the, the line of sight from the light, they can't see behind the sink or whatever, right? And, and they can't fit back there. So they put the finger lights on, and these things are cheap and disposable. And I was like, oh, that is so brilliant. I, I never in a million years would have thought plumbers 
would use these things. And then people used to tell me that their kids used them to check for monsters under their bed. Um, MTV bought a bunch of them for like a an alien TV show where like the, the laser guns and the, the spaceship had these things in it as instead of like wiring up a bunch of lights that had just individual LED lights. And I remember thinking like, I know all this in my head, but no one else knows this. Mm. And so, so for the first email I sent out that was copywritten, proper copywritten, just like I told you to begin this podcast, informing people of stuff. I'm not trying to sell you on it because people are just buying a certain amount of them and no more. Instead, I'm going to inform you of all these different use cases. And so it was around Halloween I was selling these where I thought most people would buy them. And I said, you can also use them to check for uh, monsters under your bed for kids. You can use them uh, to look behind your sink. You can use them as a flashlight just in case. You could throw some in your backpack and you'll always have them. Like, let's say you're going camping. You have a bunch of these little disposable yeah. lights. You put them in every single pocket of your backpack. You always got a light around and so I wrote out all those things and people started thinking, oh, instead of just ravers going ooh, 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 with these lights, that you can use them for everything. Every spring, every summer, every winter, you, you, there's a use case for these lights. So not only is it a fun item to have, but it is a useful item to have. And so it went from just like ravers that are 16 using these to almost anyone. So a lot of moms would buy them for their kids, That's decorations, awesome. Halloween costumes, et cetera. And I was like, Oh, that's what copy It's like just telling people all these things that were in my head that I knew like why you should buy these to other people and just at scale. And so I did that and I had my highest revenue day ever from a, an email that had no images was just roughly a page and a half long. And at the end, it just had like a little buy now link. And I told a story how like we didn't have enough of them. And there was some of that element of like scarcity that we're doing mm -hmm. a deal right now that you won't ever mm -hmm. get again. And so all those things, the scarcity, the reasons why you should buy them, et cetera, lent, ended up being the, the highest revenue day ever. And almost overnight, House of Rave, my, my business went from just relying on people let, uh, landing on me from the search results, SEO search results mm -hmm. and buying, just like spraying and praying, I hope people buy, to like, I would send her an email and make far more revenue from that. It turned into an email marketing company almost overnight. Um, and that's when I started realizing the power of copywriting, tell these stories. And then once that story worked really well on the email, I could maybe put that on the product page, right? Mm -hmm. Certain elements of it. And so I started reusing a lot of the copy and being like, oh, once I wrote that piece of copy, I could use it to uh, pitch people or someone emailed a question about it. I could send them that copy. Mm -hmm. I could use it in all sorts of places. Um, and that's how originally how I got into copywriting. And then that parlayed into AppSumo.com, uh, where I wrote all the emails for that company and it totally worked again. And that's where I was like, okay, we really got something here. The way you put your words can really affect the outcome of the sales. Dude, yeah, that's a, a killer story. It's hilarious. Um, but also, kudos to you. The AppSumo emails definitely got me. Uh, AppSumo was one of the first uh, tools I bought like in 2010 or 11 or 12, somewhere around then when I needed opt-ins and all that stuff. Welcome, Matt, and all those. those yeah, I was, I was probably writing every single one. And of course, it, 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 it's quite a bit of work now. So it has to be farmed out to like four different people. But um, that was that was when I was writing all of them. Yeah. That's awesome because it's so funny because when I think of AppSumo, I mean, obviously, I'm sure it's not just one person, but you, if you're writing the emails, you're the you're the brand experience for me with the company mm -hmm. other than landing on the site like that. The culture, the vibe, the stories, the, the jokes like I'm like, oh, this AppSumo company is really fun, you know, so it's yeah. useful tools for my online business, but they seem really fun. And so that was I had like a vibe about you guys and it's probably just your email. So but, but let me you. tell you why that's important. The, so the vibe and what you're explaining is like, oh, it's just fun. It's fun to open them. Right. So that was a concept I invented at AppSumo called 70 percent content, 30 percent sales. 
The problem with AppSumo was like you're you people you're sending a deal to someone every single day. Okay. So every day I'm emailing you going, buy something, buy something. That's very annoying. Okay. Yep. So for the what I would think is like instead of just being like, here's a product, that if you do that every day, that gets it's okay, but it gets a little bit old. I thought, let's give them really good information about how to use these types of products, right? Maybe you're not in the market for a bunch of photography WordPress templates. Um, you know, maybe that's not even like roughly your uh, area of expertise, but you can show how a photographer would use that to make more money by having all their stuff on display. And you would learn something. And even at the end, it said, hey, by the way, there's a deal on this pack of templates, et cetera. You wouldn't get pissed off being like, oh, they're trying to sell me. You'd be like, oh, they, they tried to teach me something. And of course, at the end, they have some little thing if you if you want to buy. And so I always thought 70% content and 30% sales. If you stick to that and send people an email every day where they learn 70% of the time they're learning, 30% of the time you're selling, they'll never hate you. They'll never leave you. That, that was that was my concept. And so I think that applies still today to people's newsletters, that if you send 70% good information and 30% sales, uh, people will still love you and not want to unsubscribe because they're learning a lot more than they're being annoyed by your sales. And if you I sell think, in the right yeah. way, you're not really doing high pressure sales at all. It's just kind of like, here's an offer to buy something. That's exactly it. And I love the word offer. Like when I, I think about when I go to a restaurant in, and the waiter or waitress comes up and says, Mr. Cochran, would you like would you like another cocktail? Would you like a dessert? It's such an effortless question. Would you like, you know, so it's not high pressure and I can say yes or no, because ultimately we are having to say yes or no. They can't make me buy another drink or buy a dessert or buy a coffee. Uh, it's, it has to be offered up, but I love, I love that 70, 30 split because I'm with you in terms, especially with emails and the, the amount of emails that are coming in every day and the amount of copy people are exposed to online and there's so much, um, there's so many people. And, and in my experience, like I deal with, a, I, I get like influencers or YouTubers who actually will come to me and realize they don't have a business. They just have a big audience and they need to find out a way to, to turn it into a real business <laughs> where they can control it. And, and it's funny, they're, they're, I'm picking on them for a moment because they have risen to stardom on their platform and they feel the pressure that it's going to go away. Like they know that they're internet famous and it could be for a small amount of time. And so they, that lends itself to like, if they have something to sell, they're selling it all the time. Sell, 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 buy my thing, buy my thing. And they're burning out their audience really quickly. So it's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy. They're, they're, they're speeding up the timetable of when people will be done with them. And so I, I'm trying to teach people like that to not be impatient to sell to, you really have to have this sort of confidence of like, what's in it for the person to open your email? You know, how are you going to get them to open more emails and, and buy from you in the future? You have to give them a reason to open every email. And I, I like the way you're doing it, the content, teach them something, uh, make it fun, maybe tell a story. So for you, do, do you find that like there is a balance between, I, I love the 70, 30, you know, teach and, and, and sell, but is there a balance between how much is teaching content versus funny story or entertainment? Um, you know, there's, there's different philosophies on what the nature of the content portion of your emails should be. Yeah. I mean, for the most part, I try to go with what I am personally. I, I'm kind of like a goofy person. I make a bunch of stupid dad jokes all the time. I try to add that that element in. I, I like sketches. I like dumb sketches. I think they're very effective at communicating, but they look goofy, right? And I remember one time trying to move away from that. And I made like this copywriting course for businesses. I wore a suit and glasses. It was Super goofy, and it just didn't match my persona at the time. Like maybe when I'm 50, I'll be that professional, but I just wasn't, and it just it just felt odd. 
Um, and, and it totally didn't work. And so I'd say, take whatever you are and do that. So if you're a boring accountant, be a boring accountant. Like there's other boring accountants out there for your audience. You don't need to be like this goofy, zany guy, like some sort of TikToker trying to get attention. That's not what you need to do. Um, I, I will also say uh, to your point about sending too many emails, there's a, the just. The description of that is called, it's fatigue. So launch fatigue is a word. And what happens is people who do cohorts typically or courses, what happens is they'll do like a launch and it'll be a lot of emails in a row about a specific product and people get launch fatigue and leave. And you can see during these like heavy email times, like more people leave, of course. And so you want to avoid that. And what I, the way I do that is what I call sly selling. And it's where you are selling, but you're not overtly like, like hardcore selling. So high pressure sales is like, buy this right now or get off my email list. I don't want you here. You need to leave. Uh, this is the only for people who are serious. That is high pressure sales where like you're backing them in a corner and they got to like make a decision like, ah, holy shit. Um, I think that used to work really well and it used to work like in, uh, like, like timeshare classes and stuff. Yep. You know, they bring you to the Bahamas and they go, hey, we'll give you a free whatever if you come to this timeshare class. And they really, they load you full of liquor and appetizers and you feel like they owe, owe them something. They take you really far away on a boat ride somewhere. <laughs> and they, they, they kind of back you in a corner. You're in a foreign country. Your, your brain is just like in protection mode. And you're like, you know what, just let's just do this. And like, like you almost like get backed into it. That's high pressure sales. Sly selling is where you're just like, um, we're, let, let's say I'm, I'm talking to you and I go, yeah, I wrote a book a while ago. It's this thing. Look how small it is. And the reason that I wrote this book is to make passive income. So I kind of just promoted the book, like, right, right. That's sly selling. And in my opinion, I think that's actually how online you, you can keep selling over and over and over that, like overtly pounding it into people's heads. And what I'm actually telling you is like, even when I like promote a book or something like that, you're actually giving them information. Like I'm giving you behind, I'll give you behind the scenes information on how much money the book makes, um, how long it took me to write the book, how I wrote the book. I wrote the book in Google Docs. I self-published the book. So you're actually learning while I'm selling. If you can teach people while selling at the same time, the best. That, that is, in my opinion, the best way. And the people I see last a long time constantly do that. Uh, a lot of people do it by accident. Like they promote mm -hmm. their own products by accident. Um, and, and I think the audience loves that because you're not actually trying to just promote, promote, promote. You're trying to teach, teach, teach. Uh, but, you know, we happen to include the book like that. So I think that's probably the best way to avoid that fatigue that you were talking about by sly selling all the time. Like even, even your own podcast, you could probably mention it in an interview and be like, yeah, mm -hmm. we got 300 something interview, uh, uh, you know, stars on iTunes. Here's how we did it. And then people are kind of curious to go check out your podcast and see mm -hmm. that number there. Right. So that's, mm -hmm. that's sly selling. And I, my opinion, that's probably the best way to do it in the modern, modern age. And for some of these social media stars that are like temporarily famous, you could sly sell every single day if you do it correctly. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that it, we're at, at a transition. If we haven't already fully transitioned, where selling is, we're so we're so good at buying. We've been trained to buy, and we like buying. I think that's a, a big distinction. Is people like to buy, they just don't like to be sold when it's that high pressure thing. No one wants because that's bullying in a way, and no one, everyone wants to feel in control and they want to have a good time. So I think that's one reason why you know your stuff is so effective because you get people comfortable, you get people relaxed, and you make people feel um, either like they're laughing or if, if you're educating, and I love the, the teaching type of marketing and sales copy as well. Mm -hmm. Every sales page I have for a product, I like, 
I want to teach them something. I want to teach them a principle or multiple principles that, mm. that then make, it makes even more sense that they should buy my product. But even if they don't, they're like, man, this was informative. This was helpful. It puts them like the walls are down, right? They're more comfortable and they feel like they're in charge because they're being educated. You're actually making them a more educated uh, citizen, um, which is a power play. You're putting the power in their hands and they're actually puts their guard down and makes them more likely to buy. So I love that. I think you kind of have to nowadays. I think it's moving more and more towards that. Cause like I said, you can just look up someone's name scam and find a bunch of stuff on them. Right. We have the tools at our fingertips now to look up someone if they're scamming or look up a product if it really works. Right. So there still are scams out there. There's still gullible people. There's still greedy people that are going to try to scam people. But at the same time, for the most part, I think it's gone down quite a bit. And there's always new arenas that are very new. I'd say like crypto is where there's like a lot of scams sure. right now because like no one knows anything and people you, you can kind of fool people a little bit like that. But for the most part, like product scams are a little bit out the door. Like if you sell a really crap product on Amazon, you will be found out very quick. Like yeah. the, the reviews will, will reveal you at some point. And so you can't do it as much. And that's why I think it's way more important to learn how to educate as you sell rather than just try to sell, sell, sell. Yeah, I love that. And a hidden benefit of educating is that you look more like the expert. You're actually becoming more credible in their eyes, whether they buy from you or not. And I have found this to be true. I've had super fans who I wouldn't actually categorize as super fans because they've, they've never bought anything from me, but mm -hmm. they are my biggest mouthpieces. They'll tell everyone, you should get Graham's course. You should buy, they've never even bought anything, but they just love me from whether it's the podcast or YouTube videos or the emails and they read them and read them and read them and they'll tell everyone to come check out my stuff. And uh, that's all from just the interactions and the teaching and they feel like they're getting value for free, even if they never buy. So it's hard to put an ROI on those people, but it's real, it's real for sure. Is your, is your podcast the main thing you sell through? No. So like, I actually don't do any hard selling on any of my free content, YouTube podcast. It's all just lead magnet driven, get them on the email list. And then all the selling happens behind closed doors there. Huh? It's interesting. You don't, you don't talk about your product on podcast at all. I mean, I'll mention it in past. I'll do some of that sly selling in passing. Like if it makes sense, but I generally, I don't do a ton of it. Yeah. I just, I try huh. to get people to go deeper with me and then, they can check out the products there. So, so here's this brings me to another point. There is sly selling, and I and when I say sly selling, I don't mean always sly sell. I think sometimes you should hard sell actually. And the reason is, I say sly sell throughout the day, like whenever you're just making normal content, free content. Sly selling is good because I don't want all your content to just be about your product. However, I do think there is some merit that if someone's like thinking about buying your product, right? they may not know all the benefits of it. And so they listen to it. Let's say they listen to a lot of your podcasts. I, I follow a lot of different podcasts. Sometimes I didn't even know that they're selling something. And I almost kind of wish they would tell me like, by the way, did you know I sell this thing? And just, and just give me a pitch. So you can give me a pitch without me getting upset. Just be like, here, describe the product. You're still educating me because I don't know what your product is. You're educating me about your product. You're not saying you need to buy this now. You're just saying like, here's what it is. Here's the results people have got. So if you're, if you want to sell through podcasts, here's my, my product, whatever it is. And so I do think there is some spot for like taking it. And, and putting like a chunk about your product in there. Um, so remember, I said 70% content, 30% sales. That means if you're putting out an hour long podcast that you got a good like 10, 10 minutes, you could probably talk about your product. Um, yeah. and, and people would still be like, eh, I still like the podcast. Yeah, challenge accepted. 
Yeah, I think yeah. I do it more than I, th- I realize, but it's not an intentional part of my play. Um, but I, th- I think I'm still from like coming from the early 2000s. Like I still probably I'm like, don't be scammy. And so I don't even th- it's like subconscious at this point. I'm just like, give, give, give on the front end. But I, it's funny how I've noticed it coming up more, mostly when I think about my students' successes. And maybe you find this of like, when I'm trying to teach a concept, one of my students comes to mind. Oh, well, Lane, when he did this, it was crazy to see him go from, you know, selling $1,000 a month of his course or his ebook, you know, sporadically to 15K months consistently as he implemented these things we're talking about in this episode. And then he's, well, he's one of my students in this community and he's had the course. So it comes up more and more when I'm talking about the successes of my students. Do you find that talk about testimonials, do you find that that is a powerful way for you to sell sort of on the sly side your own? Copy. I know you have copywritingcourse.com. You have your own products there. Is that helpful mm-hmm. for you to like talk about your student success? Oh, uh, I mean, totally. Uh, there's a bunch of different ways you can sell. You could sell through like the uh, just saying what you sell, right? Describing what you're going to do. You could say your own journey, and this is what I learned to in order to become this. Uh, you could also do it through testimonials. So I think all of those are very valid, and you should do all of them. I, I don't think there's any like one that's better than the other. Also, I think student successes are pretty interesting. I think also in aggregate testimonials are even better. So if you say Lane went from this to this, there's always like that one guy who's like, yeah, I'm, I'm sure you've had students in your opinion who like, even if they didn't come to you, like they probably do really well, right? They've just yeah. got that drive, that spirit. So I've had a lot of students like that, that they're like copywriting course helped me do so much. And I'm like, this guy probably would have been fine without copywriting course, <laughs> yeah. to be honest. But I think it, it would be interesting. Like Lane did this also eight other people did the same thing in the last like one year. So yeah. I think that's even more powerful. So there's multiple ways you could do testimonials of individuals. You'd also do aggregate testimonials. Like here's the I results like this. Yeah, exactly. So a lot of times people will post testimonials on a page and, and they'll, they'll say, Neville, how do you, uh, what do you think of these testimonials? Are they good? I'm like, you know, I don't know if people care about the individual testimonial as much more as like the aggregate, like mm-hmm. how many, what percentage of people like bought this and then like went on to create a successful podcast or something mm. that that's, that's sometimes an even better, uh, thing. So there's a lot of different ways to slice sell. I think you're doing a, a, a great job of it just like that. Yeah. That's but I awesome. think you could also, you could also add a section where you just talk about your product and why you made it the way you did. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. a great and If you talk about good, it for a challenge. minute or two, I mean, you are well yeah. under 30% of your yeah. free content being sales. Cause ultimately I love that. just remember, I mean, I think this, the copywriting thing is like convincing someone of something with the intent to sell them. Eventually the reason that you're putting this out is to eventually sell something. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm sure it's to talk to talk to people, connect all that. But oh, usually yeah. the reason I put out free contents, one, it's fun. But two, I eventually I want to sell something. Right. So I don't Absolutely. think it's bad to like give you a little pitch here and there. Yeah, no, that's good. It's a good, good thought and a good challenge accepted. I, lo- I love that idea. I just want to highlight that for people to not miss the selling through the aggregate tutorials or like your average student or in the most last six months, I've had this number of students do this. I think that is powerful. And I experienced that as a consumer recently. I joined a coaching program called Thought Leader and they help people land a TEDx talk. Uh, mm-hmm. And it actually worked. I landed a TEDx talk, which I'm going to be mm-hmm. doing in a couple of months here, which is really cool. Um, but that's all they sell is like, hey, it's a program. You know, there's a community, there's a course, there's coaching. And all we do is help you land a TEDx talk. And they had all these stats of um, the, the percentage of people, how long it takes, um, to land a TEDx talk. They're like, it's going to take on average, if you do our process, it's going to take you four months 
you're going to, on average, most of our students, we figure out the average student, it takes 86 applications to a TEDx event before they get a yes. And mm. they had all this stats that when I, I was being sold on the phone, on the sales call, I'm like, wow, this just sounds like you've done it so many times that you figured out the math of it, that it doesn't sound like we'll help you get it. And I have to hope that you'll help me get it. They're like, we've done so much of this, that this is how long it takes. And this is how many applications. And if you put in the work, it'll work. And that was an that, like that sold me of like, wow, it just seems like straightforward. It doesn't even seem like I have to take a chance on you. And that, and that was interesting. Yeah. The aggregate stuff is very, very powerful. So like instead of individual testimonials, I think what happens is your brain makes excuses. So you say like, oh, Brad got a TED talk, but you're like, well, Brad's really good looking and already had a bunch of social media followers. I'm not Brad. Right. And so you yeah. think you think like that. But whereas if you say like out of 100 people, you know, 47 of them got TED Talks and the, the rest that didn't, they at least like started YouTube channels or, or so, something like that. There, there's something more convincing about that, that a, a large audience of people had that result rather than just like this one guy who was exceptional. That's powerful. That's a really, really good insight. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, real quick, if, if people want to hire a copywriter, like you're a copywriter, people hire you. Like what, what kind of questions should they be asking to not, not just to know if the copywriter is, is good, but if they're a good fit, cause I know fit is important and, and maybe not only style of voice, hopefully they would learn your voice, but also working with them. Is there some, just some things we should be aware of if we're like, Hey, I don't have, cause I have students who are like, I don't have time to, to learn this copy thing. I really would be happy to hire somebody. What should pitfalls to avoid questions to ask? What do you think? It, it's really hard. So there, there's a, it's hard, but it's also easy. So it's hard for these reasons. It's hard that like, let's say you go on Fiverr or Upwork and look up a copywriter. You just see like a profile picture and like a, a description. It's like, it's like Tinder for copywriters. And you're like, do I just hire like the best looking one? Like, what, what am I doing here? Right. <laughs> there's not much to go on. Right. It's just like, well, this person lives in India. This person lives in the Philippines. This person in the US is, is one of these better than the other. Like, what is it? There's all these questions. And my simple answer is, uh, find the person that writes like you already want. Right. Mm. So if you have a Harley Davidson blog and you're talking about Harley Davidson things, what you do is you go online and type in like Harley Davidson top 10 list, whatever, and find the person that writes the good content you want already. Look at their name and go find them and reach out to them. And the mm. reason I do this is because if you are the type of person that is not going to write the copy for whatever you want, uh, you don't want to have to train the person because it sounds like you don't have the skills already. And so you want the person that's already doing the thing, right? So let's say you want to hire a, a juggler for a children's party. Do you hire a random person off the street and then teach them how to juggle? No, that's ridiculous. You hire a person that juggles already, right? So similarly, if you hire a welder, you hire a person that's already welded a bunch. And so similarly, if you hire a copywriter, you hire a person that's done a lot of copy in a similar industry. So whatever you sell, if you sell podcasting type thing, if you find someone who's already written about podcasting and is already in that industry, that's probably the person you want to go with. That's just the easiest way to hire a copywriter, in my opinion, is to find the person that's been doing the thing already and just letting them do their thing that they do rather than trying to train someone brand new. Yeah. Now, theoretically, a copywriter like myself could come in and, and write for any industry, right? I'm not in banking, but if you, if you tell me about banking, I could probably help you write in banking. But if you find someone who's already in the banking industry, they probably know all these nuances that I would not know and would yeah. have to discover on the fly, which would just be easier if you hire someone in that industry already. So that's the, that's the way if I ever want someone to write something, I find someone who's already writing something almost exactly like that. 
and hire them. Yeah, it seems like an obvious but like powerful hack. And, and if you're, let's say, where do, where would you go to look for a copywriter other than they should hire you, Neville? But if they didn't hire you, where should they look? I mean, is it are there valuable people on you know Upwork, Fiverr? And if so, like, are you like, hey, can you show me examples? Or do you have you written in this industry? Are those the kind of questions you ask? That's that's why that's why it's super hard. But it's just like, can you write for this? And all I can tell you is like, yeah, like, sure. Like, so yeah, have you written? Them. Is probably that's why I think yeah. if they have something already written out in that industry, that is the absolute best. Yeah, hiring copywriters is this very weird industry um, where people people come to me all the time because they think we train copywriters to be copywriters, and mm-hmm. whereas in fact most of our copywriting course is small business owners looking to write copy better on their own page. I would also say this. Here's here's an interesting thing I've seen over and over. And and try to think if there if you if you could prove me wrong on this. Most of the companies that do really good writing have a founder or one of the founding team writes really well. Yeah. So like like the hustle was a great newsletter, but like Sam Parr, he he actually learned uh, kind of learned from me back in the day, and, but he was also just naturally a good writer. Um, because he was a good writer, he could hire other good writers. Like he kind of knew what to look for, how to do it, and how to how to train people to say like, here's how you write better. Whereas companies that never had a good writer on the founding team generally aren't known for like putting out great content. And 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 like I know yeah. I'm putting you on the spot, but like after this call, think about it, and and you'll think, oh yeah, it's kind of true. Like you don't really no, see that, great writing coming out of a company where one of the founders was not a great writer. Yeah. I, I mean, anecdotally, initially that, that rings true. I just had Jen Olmstead on the, on the podcast and she runs uh, an incredible sh- shop um, for website templates called tonic. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's, a, so she's a graphic designer for websites, but she's actually a brilliant copywriter. And so her Instagram, her page, like the, she sells so much and sells at higher prices because she's funny. She's witty. She's just a, she's a great writer. She's a journalism background and she wanted to write for the onion. That was like her lifelong dream. So she's, <laughs> she's just had a great sense of humor. And that, that's why her copy. And let, and so let me guess that infused writer. through the whole company, right? Their sense exactly. of humor, the style of the, yeah, exactly. I, I bet that it permeated through the whole company. It's like a top down type thing. Like yeah. that person sets the tone and makes corrections. So like when I was writing all the emails for apps, I hired all the copywriters to kind of like, you know, help me do it. And, and the number one thing people would, would look at AppSumo emails and like, you remember back in the day, like they were pretty out there. They were, they were like, people were like, what the hell? This is crazy yeah. stuff. A lot of it you probably couldn't get away with today, but people <laughs> would spend the whole email writing jokes that made no sense. Like they would be their own joke. Like they're spending three paragraphs setting up a punchline <laughs> and I'll be reading this email and I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? I don't know what you're selling. Like our goal here is to eventually make money. The the funniness factor is, is, is there, but like, that's not necessary. And they'd be like, but all your emails are so funny. And I'm like, look at how our emails are set up. They're actually just talking about the product. And there might be just a single word that I'll be like, Mm -hmm. if you have a big website, giggity, like I'll I'll put that little like in parentheses, giggity, like a quagmire thing for family guy. That'd be like a common joke. I made Uh, just some dumb thing. That was the humor. One word right mm-hmm. inside of a, a longer sentence describing the product. Um, let, let's talk about this for a second. Um, when people think like what copywriting is, it, it often gets conflated with writing words on a page. But you were just talking about the, the woman who runs uh, Tonic 
and that she was uh, she was very funny already. She had a good graphics design background. So if you think about what copywriting is, it's actually trying to just transfer information into your brain. Now, the medium that that used to be done with is text, okay? But I would argue that just text is just this weird quirk of human history for a few hundred years where that was the only way to communicate with people. So the year 1000, if you wanted to like transmit some information to someone, you generally just told someone else and then they rode there on a horse or whatever and told the king, right? Yep. And there was probably some papyrus and people, some people knew the technology of the time to like draw pictures to relate. And then uh, the spoken word and the written word as we know it came out where we can like put these letters and form larger words and the, the words can form thoughts. And the mm -hmm. thoughts could be read by someone or written out, read and then instilled in someone's brain. But like our text doesn't like naturally read English. You have to teach people right? Yeah. You have to teach people how to read. There's a lot of people in the world that don't know how to read. So if you describe what an elephant looks like in text, half the world and all babies would not know how to understand this gibberish that you just wrote. However, if you show them a picture of an elephant, they go, oh yeah, cool. Elephant. Yeah. Look, uh, like they know what it is. They may not know it's called elephant, but they know like that's, that's the thing, right? So so your brain doesn't actually learn in text. So I would say like a copywriter is someone that knows how to transmit information from inside of my brain into your brain. And the technology of the day could be variable. So right now we're literally talking over like a, this black screen in front of me, like, and it's somehow like transmitting your image and we're talking to each other. And that's how we're communicating information. I could also hold up text on a sticky note and transmit information. It may not be as effective. So mm -hmm. I always, my job as a copywriter is not to write the best text, but rather how do I get the point across to the most amount of people, the most effectively. And honestly, in today's world, what is it? I think it's video to be honest. Like I probably watch way more videos, maybe two to 300 videos per one blog post I read now, right? Uh, that's not an exact stat, but it's probably something around that. Um, I'll read tweets, but then sometimes a lot of those tweets will have images in it that go along with the tweet and together they teach me something. And mm -hmm. so as a copywriter, I always think like, it's not just writing. Writing is just one tool in the arsenal. But yeah. can I make a video? Can I make a script? Can I make a YouTube video? I think in the near future, it's like, can I make a, a VR experience for you that will transmit information? And so I think it, uh, being a copywriter is actually a much larger thing of like, how can I transmit information to a lot of people's brains at the same time using whatever technology we have right now? And then at some point in the near future, there's going to be like, you know, Neuralink or something like right. that. Where you can install information in someone's brain without ever writing a word. So what's that? You know, is, is that copywriting? I don't know if that's all included, but that's something I want people to think about that people think copywriting is always just writing, writing, writing. I'm thinking, what's the fastest way to install this information in someone's head? Mm. Maybe video right now, maybe a phone call, yeah. may, maybe a live demo, maybe a group setting, maybe a piece of software. Well, what is it? And use that to your advantage. I love that there's a lot you could extrapolate from that. One just qu quick thought on the heels of that is if that is the goal is to just communicate, get the thought into the person's head, mm -hmm. do you do you believe that shorter is better than longer, whether it's video or text? I think uh, you don't you want to go long, but not long winded. That's a, that's a Joe Sugarman quote. How long should copy be? So for the most part, I think you could probably summarize a lot of things just in a tweet. However, if so, if you really, really want to explain something, it's probably going to be a little bit longer than that, right? So I would say do as long as you need to explain the product well. So will it take four hours to explain something? I think if you're taking four hours to explain anything, it's too long.
right? Uh, so I think you can go long. That's fine. Long-winded is bad. And also and what, the, age, the definition of what long is, is very different yeah. nowadays for f- five years ago, right? Yeah. A, a long TikTok yeah, that, is one minute. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I was, that's what I'm thinking about in our short attention spans. I mean, I, I was just on a, on a, a webinar about webinars, which is kind of meta, but again, the trend of like, you gotta go, you gotta go shorter these days. Like the, the way we learned to do webinars 15 years ago, you know, it's like people don't, they don't want to sit through that anymore. Like, even if it's good, even if it's valuable, they don't have the time. So like, how this can is you, a, sorry, sorry to ahead. cut you off. A super interesting discussion about attention spans. People always say like our attention spans are getting shorter. I disagree. I'd say the technology to transmit information is getting better. Right in the okay, we go back to 1950. You wanted to catch the uh, uh, learn something, watch a PBS documentary. You had to like wait, wait till seven o'clock, read the whatever TV guide or newspaper listening to find it, sit down, watch the whole thing because that was your only option. Now I can go on TikTok and type in like PBS documentary clips and like look at them up, look up a bunch of clips, see an animal eating something else, blah blah blah. I can look so much more up just swiping up and down because we have the technology and the content nowadays to do that. So I don't think human attention spans have changed at all. I actually just think that the technology to transmit information is so good now that uh, you can really compress some of these things. So uh, video editing is so much easier. You can maybe explain what an hour-long documentary took in one minute on a TikTok. Now, is it going to sink in as well? Like, right, if you watch an hour-long documentary, you may remember it for your whole life. You watch a one-minute TikTok, it's possible that you're going to forget that tomorrow. So I will say there's something there about it. But at the same time, you can explain a lot of information in one minute. A lot of my YouTube videos, I haven't posted a YouTube video in three months. I think one of the things is like, we've been doing these short videos. And I'm like, I feel like I've been doing a better job explaining stuff in short videos lately, Mm. rather than these long 20 minute videos for me to fill up 20 minutes. I almost feel like when I'm writing the script, I'm like, I'm kind of padding it with a lot of junk. Mm. You know, yeah. Um, I don't, so it I don't translate know that to copy minutes. real quick. Like, if I if I wanted to do a video instead of like text, did you say should you say video instead of text or both? And should you get to the point sooner if people can't skim a video? That's what they like about writing, you know, words. They can skim a page. What are your, what are your thoughts there? I think the, the, the correct answer is both. I think we're at a time where like blog posts still get read quite a bit and rank in Google. Yep. And therefore, also, if you embed your video about that blog post in there, you need to get YouTube and it goes, make, creates a nice virtuous circle. But one of the things uh, I've noticed with all our YouTube channels, our top videos are our longest blog posts, our top longest blog posts. And I turn those into a video. It's literally me just reading the video or the, the script you know, word for word, and then we animate the video. Those are all our top things. And I think the reason people like that more than just me babbling on a camera and editing together the good parts is because when you write it down, you're thinking about it a lot more clearly. Whereas if you just say, Neville, explain copywriting. I babble for 20 minutes and edit that video into something. I think it's a lot better when you take a script, write it down, and then create a video out of that. And the cool part is you post that script as a blog post right? That has the potential to rank rather than just be a video just on YouTube. So I think the answer is both. My top videos are always a script that I write out first and then make into a video just because it's it's more well thought out. I'm like thinking, okay, I'm going to explain this concept. I'm going to give them this example, this example, this example, and then end it like this with this informative thing. So because I'm thinking it out, it's usually just better content in general. So I think the best way to do it is you do both. More work for love sure, it. but it lasts yeah. longer if it ranks. I love that. Love that. Hey, man, I know we got to wrap up here. We have a quick segment we do in every episode called the golden rule. And I just, I love to just get the way you think in, out into the public. So it's real simple, right? Uh, do you have kids? No. 
Okay. You mentioned dad jokes, but so a lot of times I love the dad jokes. You don't have to be a dad to do dad jokes. Fun uncle to a lot of kids. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There you go. So, but the people in you, if you had kids hypothetically or the people you love in the world that you've like downloaded all your knowledge to all your wisdom to, if they, if they forgot everything that good old uncle Neville taught them, except for one thing, one concept, one piece of advice or wisdom, like a golden rule, what would you want that one thing to be for them to remember? Oh, interesting. Um, I think, oh man, there's, there's a lot of pieces of information, um, on the spot here. I think, so I'm Zoroastrian. That, that's our religion. We're like half Iranian, half Indian. And we have a great, uh, motto for our religion. It's like good thoughts, good words, good deeds. Mm. And I always, I always thought, even when I was young, I was like, that's, that's very simple. That's a very well copywritten slogan for, for a religion. Yep. Good thoughts, good words, good deeds. I always think like, if you do like good stuff, like good things come around you, you hang around good people, you think good thoughts. Um, so I think if you, you make it your goal to be around good thoughts, good words, good deeds, stuff like that. I think you have a good life. I, I think mm-hmm. you have a higher chance of having a good life. So I don't know if that's the best one, but I think that's a unique one that no one else will have on your show. <laughs> I love it. That's a beautiful one. Yeah. Hey, where can people find you online? I know you have, you have an incredible newsletter. I love the one last week, by the way. It's so funny. Um, the butt, buttectomy. The buttectomy. <laughs> I'm laughing so hard. Anyway, but where can people find you? How can they get on your newsletter, man? Because it's really worth following. It's fun. I, I would say this is, this is a good newsletter to join. I think it's I think it's way more than 70% content. I think it's mostly content and almost no sales. Um, it's copywritingcourse.com slash newsletter. Enter your email. I'll take care of the rest, all that stuff. Um, but it's called the swipes email. So every Friday I send out a swipe, a piece of wisdom, something interesting, a picture, an essay, and a sketch. And that's the format of the newsletter. And um, I've heard so many people say it's like their favorite newsletter. There's like literally, if you go to like the copywritingcourse.com slash newsletter, you'll see like literally thousands of people saying the same thing. So I hope it's pretty good. Also, uh, I've been experimenting with these short videos the last couple of months. So youtube.com slash copywriting with a K and slash shorts, you'll see all my shorts. Uh, also Instagram, just type in Neville Medora, find N-E-V-I-L-L-E-M-E-D-H-O-R-A. Find me on Instagram and I post a lot of shorts, uh, one short every day. That's been something interesting. I also play around on Twitter, probably like I post one to three times a day. So twitter.com slash nevmed and uh, you should find me there. Yeah, so follow me on those places. Come say hi um, and let me know if anything sucks. Give me advice if I if I if any of my content sucks. <laughs> Oh, I'm, I'm sure they, I'm sure they won't. Cause there's not much that sucks. It's really, really worth your time. It really is guys. The swipe files are amazing and hilarious. If nothing else, you get a good laugh, um, and learn something. So Neville, this has been great, man. Thanks for taking time. Thanks for and, having and, me. Uh, I really appreciate dropping Graham. all the, the wisdom. Yeah, dude. Have an amazing day. We'll talk soon. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate it. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Neville. I loved my time with him. So much fun. You can see why I love him. Uh, please check out his stuff. Go to copywritingcourse.com slash newsletter to get on his newsletter. Check out the swipefile.com as well as his YouTube channel, youtube.com slash copywriting with a K or just search copywriting with a K on YouTube. Follow all his stuff, absorb his wisdom, and hopefully you feel inspired to write words that are in your voice, that are fun, that are playful, uh, that aren't marketing. They're real because we connect with real, we connect with other humans, and hopefully that's what you took away from today's episode. Hey, thanks for spending part of your day with us today. I hope this was impactful to you in your life, in your business. We'll see you on another episode real soon.